Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. We are now in the last episode of the 1993 movies. I am Michael, Jacob's on the other side. Hello everybody! What a journey we have been on, and frankly, I <laughs> we are going to be taking a break, but I have so many episodes backlogged, you may not even notice. But <laughs> I, I'm pretty packed for this month and next month, and in about, what, a month is when it goes insane for you, or maybe even earlier? Oh yeah, no, it's going pretty insane already. Oh, okay, so it's a good thing we're wrapping this up. The only thing we're going to do, we're going to do a Halloween special, we're going to do the Jaws franchise, and uh, then we're going to be taking a long break till January when our schedules are, are cleared up. Yes, absolutely, sounds good. And I do love me some Jaws. Alright, so, uh, the first movie uh, that we'll be discussing of the five, what are they going to be, Jacob? I wanted to get this one out of the way, because, I mean, uh, as enlightening as it is, it Really hard-hitting. Geronimo. Yeah, it's... I hemmed and hawed uh, about this one because we tend not to do dramas. We usually kind of have a fun time. Um, but this is a very important movie, and I think the fact that it just basically got dusted away and forgotten about, no one really talks about this. And it's it's extremely important that we know the, the real story behind all these tall tales and legends that we hear about you know through our, our youth and, and for centuries like like you know if if we hadn't known the truth about christopher columbus seriously why are you guys still chugging his cock <laughs> stop it <laughs> i know it's like smash down his statues and you know aim for the dick first yeah he and, deserved and more than that here's the weird thing i i i, I move i move back to indiana and there's st he's, he's still worshipped here it, on, on the west coast it's mostly indigenous uh, what's it called again uh, National Indigenous Day. Thank you. Indigenous uh, People's Day. Right, and so, but here it's still Columbus Day, and they don't give a fuck, and it's insane because half these people love to be cool and say, "I'm one three hundredth Cherokee." That's right, I'm badass. And like, oh, but do you care about their rights or, or the history of how we rule? No, fucking Columbus was a great Italian. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, and the Spanish Inquisition said he was fucked up. What does that tell you? Yeah, but it's also. It's also a thing like we're, we're, we're hearing more about like Billy the Kid and, and Drana was not any different is the real story about why they did what they did and the fact that we just tortured Geronimo's uh, people and kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and I am completely on his side and I don't know how you couldn't be. Anybody exactly. who's pushed that hard and people being wiped out and their land being forcibly taken away from them. And basically, you know, like in, what do you call it when they did that internment camp is all basically what we're doing them like early run on that. And exactly. West Studi gives a fucking magnificent performance in this. Oh, absolutely! I know. I mean, to hear them actually speak and um, their language, and you know, try to convince each other, it's like, dude, we have to like take them on. We're being pushed to the point of extinction. There's no point. Joyce but to fight. Plus, they're the ones who started it first, all over a little celebration that the indigenous people were having. And, you know, uh, also, uh, it's like, you're scaring people. You know, stop doing your thing. It's like, what people? There's nobody else around. And if white people can't handle it, tough shit, maybe they can go somewhere else. Yeah, and this is when Gene Hackman's entering his fucking asshole period. Well, he'd already done it the previous year before with Unforgiven. But did you notice, like, for, like, six or seven years, he was a fucking dipshit and, until, like, uh, Enemy of the State, I think, kind of turned him back into a hero. He was known for being a piece of shit during this time. Oh, like, as uh, a... His characters. Play? His characters. Not him in real life. I love you, Gene Hackman, until you do something horrible that's revealed later. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's 
retired from acting, though. He retired, I think, what, what was that one he did with Ray Romano? Uh, Welcome to Mooseport. Okay, yeah, yeah, he retired after that. But anyway, yeah, no, Gene Hackman was trying to be the uh, centerpiece, trying to keep the piece. Like, he had to do something regarding, you know, some of the killings, but at the same time, they should have been justified. I mean, those marshals had no reason to kill the, um, the indigenous uh, preacher. Right. Well, no, it's, it's more, a... I think you're thinking of Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall is the guy who's trying to help. Him and Jason Patrick and Matt Damon are trying to help, and it's Gene Hackman and all the politicians that are fucking shit up. Yeah, but Gene Hackman ended up having to resign because there's no way he could have uh, done anything about it. Yeah. Then, later on, he's relieved of command, and the guy who comes in after, oh, God, yeah. You can tell everything he was doing was in the name of white supremacy. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Is it weird to think that this movie uh, was from Matt Damon's perspective? I forgot about that. I hadn't seen this movie in probably 20 years. Yeah, I didn't either. It's like, yeah, he's the one just, like, you know, telling a story, what he saw. And, yeah, I know Jason Patrick was the only one who actually could talk with Geronimo. They had respect for each other. Yeah. And, you know, they, they were saying Jason Patrick was going to be a megastar after this. He hosted SNL. They thought this was going to be a huge hit. And when it flopped, I don't know if Jason Patrick stepped back because that's kind of what he does after he does a studio film. If you notice, he did it after Lost Boys. Uh, he stepped back after uh, this and Rush. Uh, he stepped back after Speed 2. Remember, they thought he was going to be a big star from that, too. And, and Narc. Every time he has a movie that breaks through the mainstream, he would step back and disappear because I don't think he wanted to be a movie star. But now, look, he can hardly get any work that's any damn good. It's all direct-to-video shit. Yeah, sadly. I mean, gosh, even for, like, some of the roles where he could play, like, you know, an elder, like, you know, someone to teach or something. Uh, you know, like a... Slowly, dr slowly drifting into retirement gunman, you know, to teach, uh, pass on what he learned. Yeah. Not even that. Yeah, this movie but, really uh, didn't work out for anybody. Even Walter Hill, it didn't go well for him after this because uh, this tanked, Wild Bill tanked, Last Man Standing tanked, and I haven't seen his new movie, but Walter Hill seems like the kind of guy that has a huge vision that needs to be shot, you know, ultra-wide, and on film, and that Dead for a Dollar that he did with William Dafoe, and what's the bad guy from Inglorious Bastards? What's his name? Oh, gosh, why am I... Why am Christoph... I Waltz? Yeah, Christoph Waltz. That's yeah. It. It's shot on digital and it's not ultra wide. It doesn't feel right. When I watch Geronimo and I watch those other movies I mentioned, that feels like one of his movies. Yes, absolutely. Like I said, there were a lot of great landscapes and great wide shots. And, oh God, the ending pissed me off the most. The uh, indigenous people who were serving in the military, they got thrown in and locked up with Geronimo oh, too. It's like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah, that, that's fucking horseshit right there. Um, white supremacy that's yeah, what it was yeah and it's it's a very important film that sadly I think has been kind of pushed aside and, and you know it's of the legendary westerns that were part of the revival you know people talk about Tombstone they talk about Dance of Wolves Unforgiven Silverado but they never talk about this one I know and it's a shame honestly I, 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 it was probably hard hitting it, it is really hard hitting and I think white people got upset, upset and sensitive. Yeah. Oh, white people, a lot of white people do not want to deal with the fact that they've ever done anything wrong. It's not even us. All of us that right now that are alive, we're not around for any of this shit. <laughs> Why the fuck do we have so much guilt? Just deal yeah, exactly. with it. We have to, I know, it's like we have to acknowledge that history was terrible and then we have to do better from then on. Yeah, and you just have to face it. But um, what is our next film? Yeah. Okay, our next film is... Wilder Napalm. This one really threw me off. Uh, I'm watching the beginning, you know, I'm seeing, like, 
Dennis, Dennis Quaid as like this clown, and then that little kid comes up to him with a little pop gun, you know. And then as he walks away, he says, Ciao. I'm like, dude, just killed that kid, dude. Like, that kid on fire. Is this a horror movie? I had no idea. Yeah, this movie is nuts. It is I mean, this might be his most unhinged performance of Dennis Quaid, and this movie is from the creator of uh, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan, who took the, you know, he had a little bit of heat off of this and he would join X-Files. So a lot of the stuff that you know oh, through, wow. the, through the latter half of X-Files is because of him and Chris Carter working so closely together. But this movie was dumped. I mean, fucking dumped. It was in two theaters for one weekend. I think it made $29,000. And when it got, when it hit video, no one knew what the fuck it was. It's not sold as like this wild adventure or whatever you want to call it. What do you call this movie? It's fucking crazy. I know. It's like, it, I, again, I thought, I, at first I thought it was a thriller, but then no, it was just a little uh, character piece. Yeah. It's, it's a redneck, uh, supernatural, not supernatural. It's, uh, it's, it's as if the X-Men were hillbillies. <laughs> no. Yeah. A fire, a, a starter version of, uh, yeah. Rednecks. It, it's if Raising but, Arizona and Firestarter were put together. That's the best way I can think I put it. Okay, yeah, no, that is a better combination, and you're absolutely right now that I see it. <laughs> yeah, but they don't do any of the cliches whenever people show their powers, which during this period, if you had any powers, all of a sudden there's that worry of the government coming after you and, and secrecy. No, they're out in the open. They're blowing each other up. Uh, so it, what the story is is two telekinetic – or tele – what do you call that one? Pyrokinetic. Pyrokinetic, thank you. Brothers who have gone in different directions, and one of them got the girl. And, you know, Deborah Winger is under house arrest. There's so many character pieces in this I love. Um, but a lot of it has to do with this tragedy when they were kids that uh, tore them apart. Whereas Dennis Quaid has embraced the loony lifestyle. He joined a crazy carnival. Oh, and let's not dismiss Jim Varney's fun performance. Oh, no, not at all. You can never dismiss Jim Varney. Yeah. Like, and I, I, absolutely. Like, outside of Ernest, anything, he'll still light it up. Yeah, and Arliss Howard as the more reserved brother, the more the well-behaved brother, I think doesn't get any credit. Well, nobody gets any credit for this movie because no one talks about it, but I think his performance is much more controlled. It's not as showy as Dennis Quaid's, but I really enjoyed how frustrated he is in trying to control the chaos in his world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, him becoming a firefighter, you know, was, I think, him trying to redeem himself and to prevent that stuff from ever happening again because it was him and his brother who started that. Yeah, couldn't let that go. And and he runs. He does this stupid low rent job of a photo booth in a dead shopping center, and he's so lonely. And then of all the places to put the traveling carnival, right in the middle of the fucking parking lot where where he works. And no one who owned the place said maybe we should just move this to the edge of the parking lot or anything. They're completely wrapped around him. <laughs> I know, and it's just causing him, uh, and then it's causing him like misery. And then it turns out his brother's there. Yeah, and, uh, there's so much. To, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, there's so much petty spite that I love out of these these two doofuses. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. Just like when they have the fire brigade, you know, coming over for like lunch, you know, on some downtime at hours uh, place, and they're singing, they're you know, they're singing along to oldies, they're singing Duke of Earl, and you know, just chilling, having a good time. And the way they're just looking at each other, you know that little stare off as everybody's singing in the background <laughs> and it's like he's just like he's just uh, Arliss is reminding Dennis Quaid
way that he's got the girl still. Yeah. Like, it's so weird. These little things that are added for character pieces, they don't feel forced quirkiness. You know how you see some movies that are like, oh, that's so twee, you know? This just feels like a natural flow of that Coen Brothers thing that they were introducing into the film. Like, just people are weird and eccentric. Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh, God. Dennis Quaid in particular. I wanted more of him in clown makeup. Yeah, I did too, because he was crazier, I think, when he was in the makeup. Like, it let him even further loose. Oh, absolutely. And then when the fight scenes would start where they're, like, having it out, oh, gosh. Now, part of me enjoys the big pyrotechnic fight that they had, but if I was any of the carnival people, I would be like, you fucking assholes, this is our job, this is our living, you're blowing up everything, you shitheads. (laughs) Especially, oh, God, Dennis, yeah, because Dennis Quaid in particular, he was the more destructive one. Yeah, every oh, time, every time he winded to end, he just kept pushing. But I loved the part where he was just on that fucking mower, mowing all night long out of rage. <laughs> I know, just like driving him insane, like literally all night. Oh man, and could you blame him? No. no. Um, so yeah, that's a nice little forgotten movie that you can find in like some of those multi packs you get from Mill Creek. Um, did I send that to you? Did I? I feel like I sent you a physical copy and a digital copy. Am I wrong? My DVD copy. I've sent you a lot of movies and toys and comics, so I apologize if you're overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. I'm sure I'll find it somewhere. Yeah, it's in a multi-pack of like comedies that didn't do very well. But um, what is our next film? Our next film is oh god, this was a childhood classic, personally, because I grew up watching the cartoon and all the little comic strips. Dennis the Menace. This movie holds up so much better than I remembered it being because I saw this in theaters. I had a fun time. And I hadn't seen it in forever. It was always playing in our house because mom babysat a lot, but I never sat down with it. And I thought I was going to see, like, a lot of that age. You know, after Home Alone, a lot of that stuff didn't age very well. Well, it's terrible acting, terrible plot, and it's all setups for gags. This is so fucking good in its setup and the performances. Look, the kid's cute, and, and Leah Thompson is Leah Thompson, whatever. But Joan Plowright, Plowright, I think that's how you say it, Plowright, um, Walter Matthau. And Christopher Lloyd are so goddamn good, especially Lloyd, just getting lost in this loony character. He kind of, you know, he remember he was kind of known for eccentric characters during this time period. He was always gold. Oh God, yes, no, yeah, Christopher Lloyd again, growing up with Back to the Future and uh, Who Trained Roger Rabbit, and then of course Uncle Fester. Yeah, for me, he was the eccentric, charismatic guy. He was all over the place, and oh. Gosh, this role of him. Has he ever been grosser? This is one of the grossest things I've ever seen in a studio movie. Just a festering boil of a human being. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, but when Dennis, you know, unwillingly outsmarts him and, like, has him tied up and he's feeding him all the beef. Oh, God, the prosthetic belly moving around. <laughs> oh, the, the food spitting up on his face is so gross. Showed up in this movie, uh, Natasha Leone. She was the babysitter. Oh yeah, and, uh, and the brother from Home Alone uh, is um, the the boyfriend of the babysitter who who has a fun gag where he puts an uh, attack on the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh god, Walter Matthau's reactions from like Dennis's shenanigans. Oh, he this, this is this is part of that comeback trail because Jack Lemmon had already done a killer performance in Glengarry Glen Ross and JFK. Now it's time for Walter Matthau, and this was really like his return to a name above the title, and it would all culminate, you know, a couple months later in Grumpy Old Men or Grumpy Old Men. Oh yes, of course. Oh god, yeah, Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> that opening line—I'll <laughs> still never get over that. Um, but 
Yeah, this is from yeah. John Hughes, and, and this is starting to bring in that formula that works so well with Home Alone, and of course would have diminishing returns as you go, but I still think this is very good. I've never seen the show, and I never read the comic strip, but I do remember the cartoons when I was a kid. Oh, yes, absolutely. That was That's what it was for me. It would always be like part of a Saturday morning lineup. I remember like the upbeat, I think it was like late 80s, uh, Dennis the Menace uh, theme song. I want to say, be, yeah, like, and I think it was paired with Heathcliff. Am I wrong? I think it was. I think it was shortly on after Heathcliff. Yeah. Oh, man, dude, there was a whole shitload of cartoons as a kid, like, you know, on those little blocks. It's yeah, the yeah. Little, it was just the, so uh, And I know there was, a, there was a TV movie before this in 1988 where it's like Dennis Menace discovers a dinosaur in his backyard, and that did very well. So I think in the cartoon, I think it was starting to warm people up for a comeback for Dennis Menace. So it makes sense that when this hit theaters... Um, that it did it did well. I mean, it cost like twelve million, made fifty. But this is kind of like that moment where a lot of the old TV shows and stuff like that are getting adapted, and they're doing well. Beverly Hillbillies is uh, came out like a couple months after this. Uh, there's Little Rascals, of course. There, the uh, Wayne's World and stuff like that. Where that was more recent, but there's a kind of a nostalgia thing going on for the fifties and sixties uh, with yes. the movies. Yeah. Um, we didn't we didn't get the chance to do Beverly Hillbillies because I couldn't find it anywhere. I just saw it on Stars, um, and and that's why I think doesn't work as well as Dennis the Menace because they don't have as many you know they don't have John Hughes working it or whatever, and they don't have killer performances. But back to Jim Varney, that's a hell of a performance for him. I really and, and Cloris Leachman as Granny, whoo, spot on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no. And of course, uh, for me, oh, God, Diedrich Bader. Yeah. Just loved him as Jethro. But I don't <laughs> think that the movie's jokes land because Penelope Spheris, I think, has almost too much re- reverence for Beverly Hillbillies, so the jokes don't hit as well. It's, it. She only really had one movie that worked well, and that was Wayne's World. Oh, God, yes. I know. That was perfection. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, so we didn't get the chance to watch Beverly Hillbillies, but if you can find it, it's so hard to get physical copies, but it is on Stars right now, and I got Stars. Not to, I'm not getting paid by them, I swear. Um, I got six months for ten bucks. That seems like a pretty fucking good deal. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, that has some product uh, quality television. Show yeah, I'll give like you the that. password later. I'll give you the password. There's a whole bunch of westerns on there, and Jacob and I love westerns. Um, mm-hmm. What's the next film? Okay, the next film. Um, oh gosh, this one did take me by surprise, Dave. I think there was the one you mentioned. Uh, the one that we mentioned before with Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah, Garland. Distinguished Gentleman, yeah. Yeah, that one. Almost kind of followed the same path, but actually had uh, more centered and more impactful due to the fact that uh, Kevin Klein was playing two people, two different people. You know, he was playing the actual president of the United States, and then he was playing this uh, temp agency manager. Yeah. And, and who and had yes, a lot of heart. There is a con. There is a con in the middle that, that requires the plot to move forward, but um, this one is taking a con man and making him, or a distinguished gentleman was taking a con man and taking him straight. This is a guy who really is just riding the line of honest and straight and narrow, and everybody around him seems to want to be con artists and thieves. Yes, especially Frank Langella's character. Oh, yes. He, he was basically trying to manipulate his way into becoming president. Yeah, what a conniving little fuck. And then there's Kevin Dunn, who kind of goes along with it, but then realizes he's going too far, and, and he's like, uh, you know, kind of leveling it out. But I think a lot of it is, I mean, as great as Sigourney Weaver is in this, I really think this is Kevin Klein's showcase. And Ivan Reitman does such a fun, earnest, this feels like an old-fashioned movie, like something that Jimmy Stewart would show up in. 
Oh, God, yes, absolutely. They'd have that kind of soul. And seeing him, like, actually progress and, like, help out the people, like, redistributing a particular budget to fund, the you know, the orphanage to help out the children, and him actually falling in love with Sigourney Weaver, subtly, not too strong, though, but subtly. Um, And then it all ended, um, you know, with the actual president, you know, having a stroke from having sex with one of his aides. No surprise there. But how this all unfolded and worked itself out, I felt, that, again, it just went went along naturally. Yeah, and I love the fact that he was a guy, a guy running for office and, you know, in his small little town, and he kind of wasn't in that whole, oh, you know, massive corporate ring uh, influence over politicians. It wasn't even of interest to him. So whenever he's hearing all that stuff that Frank Langella wants, he's like, oh, fuck that. No. I mean, he doesn't say that because it's a PG movie, but I, I just think, I think it's funny that uh, it's so earnest and yet not cheesy. I and mean, we're going to have an, I'm all for Forrest Gump. We're going to discuss this in the next year. Um, whereas a lot of people say it's overly earnest, cheesy shit. And I'm still for it. I love Forrest Gump. I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker. Yeah, um, oh, of course, yes, and it's also a Robert Zemeckis film, yeah. and he and Tom Hanks, again, work wonderfully together. Um, it's a great combination. Yeah, what is our next film? Okay, our next film, The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. Oh, man. One little detail I did find out about Harrison Ford, it's like he did have a beard at the time, and of course, I don't think studios were really happy with that, because leading men aren't supposed to have beards. Right, right, unless you're like in a western or something, or you've been in a coma and they remove it immediately. But, I mean, halfway through the movie, or a good chunk of the movie, he did remove it plot-wise. It made sense, because he's on the run, he's framed for his wife's murder, he did not commit. And this, what did Chicago PD do? They didn't take his word for it, they didn't investigate it, they just wanted to sh- uh, shut, this cl- shut this case down. And the way it unfolds, um, you know, taking on the pharmaceutical company, calling, you know, big call-outs. All the intent... Oh, gosh, that opening train sequence. Damn. Holy fuck. That's the one that it became so legendary for. And we saw this on the big screen and watching that. And it still holds up today. I have a pretty big TV. I think it's a 50-inch. And I have it in HD. And I can barely tell that's a special effect. I don't know how they did it because it wasn't... It doesn't look like uh, rear screen projection. And it doesn't look like miniatures. I, it, it's just a masterpiece of special effects and editing. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. I couldn't even tell that either. But, man... Again, you can't help but feel for Harrison Ford. You want him to get down to things. And then Tommy Lee Jones, as this uh, U.S. Marshal trying to track him down. Man, again, he was just a total dick. Even when Harrison Ford, over the um, little aqueduct pipe, you know, straight up just told him, you know, he didn't kill his wife. Hey, Tommy Lee Jones, what does he say? I don't I care. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I know. It's like, dude, so, listen to the guy. Yeah. He, he's so good in this. He's on fire during this whole performance. But um, what I just found this out this morning is that Harrison Ford watched Under Siege. And he said he agreed to the director, Andrew Davis, and he agreed to Tommy Lee Jones, who had given a hell of a performance. I, I think now, looking back on it, I know it's sacrilege. I think Under Siege is a shit movie. I think it's a it's a overly inflated uh, diehard ripoff. Whereas Pastor 57, which came out around the same time, is a much better movie than Under Siege for half the money. Um, but there, it's, it is noteworthy. Andrew Davis is a hell of a director. Director, the greatest dad movie ever made. Not The Fugitive, but The Package, 
with Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It is seriously the greatest dad movie. Um, and it was the right choice. I'm just sad that Andrew Davis was never able to like repeat this success. Because everything after this, everything tanked. Damn. Yeah, he did. He did a pet project uh, called Steel Little, Still Big, Steel Big with um, Andy Garcia. Bombed. Chain reaction with Keanu and Morgan Freeman. Tanked. Um, Hol- no, you know what? Holes did well. I forgot he did Holes. Um, and then he did Collateral Damage with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I have no idea where his career is now. I know it's a damn shame too. Like this guy did have a good. Um... He did have a good eye for not only the dramatic character pieces, but like when it came to developing, you know, particular action and, you know, of course, practical, you know, grounded action, not super crazy over the top. Yeah, and a lot of it is just um, the chase, and there's no, there's not really any huge set pieces besides the major jump and 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 the train sequence or whatever. Everything else is really just like run and gun, just get going. And I like his team. And that's why I really like the sequel, U.S. Marshals, which some people didn't even know existed. I'm still surprised why they didn't just call it, you know, Fugitive 2, U.S. Marshals, or just another Fugitive, or just Fugitive 2. Why call it U.S. Marshals? It is the same exact setup. He's after someone who's, you know, innocent of a crime, Wesley Snipes, and it, it just didn't do any very good in comparison to The Fugitive. And it's always a strange choice. Right, I mean, at least should have had some kind of connection. Now, have you uh, seen U.S. Marshals? Uh, I haven't seen U.S. Marshals in a while. Yeah, and, and plus taking five years after Fugitive was a bit of a long gap. Some people move on. And now we have legacy sequels and people don't care. But back then you had like a two, three year window for sequels to be successful. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, all the great, se- all the great sequels have done that. Yeah, um, and I, I think this is absolutely top notch. This might be my second favorite dad movie. And this is when Harrison Ford was really coming back because people forget that there was a lull. If it wasn't an Indiana Jones movie, it was not successful because uh, Mosquito Coast tanked, uh, Frantic tanked, uh, Presumed Innocent regarding Henry. And then he took uh, the Tom Clancy, um, Jack Ryan franchise and made it his own in 92 with Patriot Games. And The Fugitive, it was like a big comeback. Like, Patriot Games did well. It made like $80 million. But Fugitive, I think, made 300 And then after that, for a decade, it just felt like he was the biggest thing in the world. Oh, God, yes. I mean, how could he not have been? Yeah, even with, even with the flops that he had during this time period, people were still like, holy shit, Harrison Ford is like the GOAT. Oh, no, he's definitely a good, great go-to. And... Of course, it, it is going to be a little bit of a tearjerker when we see him in the last Indiana Jones. Yeah. Movie. Did you know that oh. Harrison Ford is the only person in history to have a $100 million movie, uh, you know, total box office-wise, in over five decades? Holy shit, no. Unless Indiana Jones tanks horribly, which I seriously doubt it'll make less than $100 million. So it's Star Wars in 77, uh, Raiders Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, of course, in the 80s. Uh, oh, and then Last Crusade. Then in the nineties, he had a lot of over a hundred million dollars. Then it kind of stumbled a little bit. He had, I think, what? But Lies Beneath made just over a hundred, like a hundred and one. Uh, then he and had that was like, Air Force One. Uh, that was in ninety seven, so that doesn't count. Um, oh, okay. And then he did uh, uh, the the fourth Indiana Jones, which everybody hates, but it did make over a hundred million dollars. 
And then Force Awakens qualified him for the last decade. So he's just got to get one in this decade to qualify for... Wait, is that it? 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2000? No, that's six decades. Oh, damn. Yeah, I don't see the seventh decade coming because he's going to be like 95. And, and, the, and the rules were you have to be one of the, the leads. And, you know, the reason why the movie was made is because you're one of the leads. It can't be like an Ann Harrison Ford or, or you know, like that because... I get the feeling after this next Indiana Jones, he's going to either retire or he's just going to do small, small performances. Right. No, because, I mean, this is the last time he's going to play Indiana Jones. Yeah. This is the I last don't, adventure. I don't want him going out like Henry Fonda where he's doing, oh, just give me a million dollars. You know, the way Bruce Willis was, now that we know actually what's wrong with Bruce Willis, where they, they take a big uh, a, a paycheck, whatever, for just one or two days worth of filming. Right. Yes, of course. Um... Yeah, no, he definitely needs to have some kind of like a supporting role, for sure. Yeah. What? What? Are we done with the movies? Is that all five? Yeah, that's all five. Holy shit, we are done with 1993. And like I said, uh, you may not notice the gap because I'm really loaded up with episodes. So January hits. Once we're done with our crazy Christmas rush, we'll be back with 1994. I know I really wanted to finish 94 for this year, but it's just not going to happen between Jacob, I, and uh, uh, John. We all work jobs where it's just slammed around this time of year, so. Just, I'm just being realistic. Of course, yes, and we all need a little break. Um, uh, once we get it, you know, whether it's just like sitting down, having a nice slice of pizza, what, you know, just staying at home, watching a movie, you know, just being lazy. Yeah, and to be fair, be you and I are all—we're almost to year nine, and I'm kind of burnt out. We, I sometimes I just want to watch a new movie, but I feel like all I do is watch old movies for the show, and this. This break will give me a chance to catch up because I'm so far behind. Because <laughs> like you, you, you will probably load up the most on movies besides myself. And what you watch like 15 movies in a six week period. I'm watching like 40 or 50 just to see what's good enough for the show. I'm good at that. I mean, I know I love movies, but I mean, if it's going to be a big old homework assignment like that, it's like uh, pump the brakes. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like we're watching the MCU all over again. Yeah, and I keep thinking about it like that. I want to go back. So that's why we're kind of pausing, and I, I want to go revisit movies from the 60s and 70s. I mean, that's just me right now. Speaking of MCU, if you get the chance, watch Werewolf by Night. I am so far behind. I have not watched anything since um, Loki. Oh, wow. Yep. I. You still got plenty of time. I never even finished. I've only seen one season of uh, The Mandalorian. I've never seen that. I haven't gone beyond that. So, yeah, I'm very, very far behind because, and it does feel like work. And I appreciate everybody sticking with us over the years, and I love the audience, but please understand I need to slow down a little bit. And, and it's going to happen anyway because I told you and I kind of talked we were going to do this on a regular basis for 10 years. And, you know, come February of. Uh, 2024 that's the 10 years and I'm not going to quit the show but it's going to slow down significantly so besides I don't think people are really ready for 2000s nostalgia just yet so yeah no 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 we still got some time before that uh uh <laughs> alright so Facebook Twitter all your podcast hosts under hit rewind and that is it Jacob send us out alright namaste and good luck everybody have a good day and be excellent to each other.